So we're going to press on to where we're headed today. We're going to do so out of Psalm 139 as we examine this theme of living under the provision and restoration, restorative care of God. Um, so today we're going to talk about his constant care. So if you'd like to turn there, you can. Most of this, uh, this is most of the psalm. There's a few more verses after this, but we're going to just read through verse 18. If you'd like to know, this psalm is broke up into four segments, four quarters. Okay, and there's just a progression there. And so in your Bibles, there may be headings over it um, where there's six or seven verses that are separated. Uh, and the authors here were trying to help us once again remind ourselves of how God looks after us. So God's constant care is what we're going to be after. Uh, but as always, we like to talk. How, how many of you have heard the name Scott? I'm going to try and say, is it Pele or Pele? Scott Pele? He's like the CBS evening news anchor. Is it Pelly? Okay, and you guys know what I'm talking about? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. You can Google him later. You can pull out your phone and type in Scott Pelly, and you oh, yeah, I don't know him. Right? Or maybe you do know him. But if you've watched the evening news before, you've probably seen Scott. He's a veteran um, journalist and news anchor. He's featured many times on 60 Minutes, things of that nature. And so if you saw his face, I probably should have put it on the wall, but if you saw him, uh, you would know him. So here's some things that Scott says. He travels all the time. Been doing this for many, many years. He says there's six things that he takes with him on every trip. Now, if you're taking a trip somewhere, do you have some things that just have to go with you? And you won't leave home without. What is it? Somebody got one you want to share that you can share? Phone and charger? Debit card? I thought I heard somebody say medicine. Okay, somebody else, I just, if I'm going on a trip, this has to go with me. Bible, makeup bag, fishing rod, <laughs> curling iron, what's that? Golf clubs, yeah. <laughs> all these essential things we've got to travel with, right? How did we function without all this stuff years ago? <laughs> all right, so... None of those things are make top, uh, top six list here, okay? But here's some things. I guess one of those does. He talks about his phone for a minute. But here's six things he says I always travel with. One is a shortwave radio. One is a camera. Uh, that's two, rather. The third is an indestructible suitcase. The fourth is a laptop computer. Fifth is a phone. And then the sixth one is an emergency locator beacon that works anywhere. Any of you have an emergency locator beacon? Yeah, that's right. If you've got a phone and it has GPS in it, you kind of do, right? To a degree, we can track you around the world. They've got some things now that you can plug in cars so you can know where your teenage driver is, all right? So he said he's going here or she said she's going there, and lo and behold, they're way over here. What's going on, all right? So now we can track you. We know where you are. Uh, and so he says he never goes anywhere without these six things. And so he was asked about this locator, like how does it work? And he says basically you extend an antenna, you push two buttons, and it sends out a signal, okay? And it's going to go to these people. Uh, it's the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. And so basically it sends a signal to a satellite, which is going to bump it back to this group of people. And what they then do is interpret the signal. So it tells them who is sending the signal and where it is coming from. That's pretty cool, right? That's a pretty neat piece of modern-day technology. Well, then he goes on to say this about it. Uh, he says, depending on where you are and what country you're in, they will either send a rescue team or not. 
depending on the country that you're in. Now, he said he's never had to use it before, but that's the six things. And that one, uh, preeminently, first of all, is the one thing that he'll never travel without. And so I can understand that because he's been in some war zones. You may have seen him. I remember him on like an Iraq kind of documentary where he's out in the battle with the people like bullets flying by. He's right in the mix of it. And so you could understand why you may want to be located. Now let's put ourselves in his shoes just for a minute. Let's say that we were lost and we had lost our beacon. And we find ourselves in the middle of a war zone. All right? Are we going to be terrified? Sure. All right? Are we unlocatable, if that's a word? Okay, so maybe you couldn't find me. Could anybody find me? Maybe the enemy could, right? I think I've got a beautiful and wonderful ally who could find me, who could locate me anywhere on the planet. And this ally, this friend of mine, he doesn't need a beacon. He doesn't need a signal. Right? He doesn't need for me to call him and say, hey, I'm getting shot at here. Can you come get me? And the thing is, this person will always show up regardless of the country I'm in. And this person will always show up regardless of how much I'm being terrorized. Who am I talking about? All right, so I've got this friend. I've got this father in my God and his son Jesus and the Spirit is my locator, right? They always know where I am. Now, I could... I could be afraid for Scott. I don't know what his faith is. But to be out somewhere and pushing two buttons and have no one to know where you are could be terrifying. But to be out in the middle of nowhere and have no way to push buttons, but to be able to do what Jamie said earlier, just to pray, know that my Father has located me. He knows right where I am and what I'm facing. That just brings me constant reassurance and peace. So can fear exist where there's peace? There can still be fear. I can still be afraid. But I can also have an overwhelming peace that everything's okay. My God's right here with me. And so today what I want to look at then is this constant care of God as he tracks with us everywhere we go. He knows who we are. He knows where we are. He knows exactly why he has made us. And so in Psalm 139, we've got David reminding us of these things. Okay, he's trying to remind himself of a conversation uh, or he's having a conversation, and in that conversation, he's reminding himself and us today of some truths about who God is. And the bottom line is this. When you walk out of here today, you may not understand or you may not remember a whole lot, but I hope you walk out of here remembering that God loves you, he sees you right where you are, and he cares. You may not feel like it, it may not seem like it, and we'll get into that a little bit today, but what you have to know, right, sometimes you just got to know some things. Sometimes you just got to preach to yourself, and I do, me as well. Because I don't see it, I don't feel like it, but it doesn't change the truth. And so sometimes we've got to preach to ourselves or help one another out that God is. And we talked about that a little bit last week. Let's look here at his constant care. Verse 1 through 18, Psalm 139. You can follow along in your Bible if you've got one. It's on the wall as well. And so we'll progress there here this morning. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. And you're acquainted with all my ways. For there's not a word in my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You've hedged me behind and before, and you've laid your hand upon me. 
Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high, and I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your right hand shall lead me, and your, or your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you form my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. And so I'll praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God, and how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. So this morning we're going to work our way through all sorts of things you could talk through there, but three things as it relates to the care of God in each one of those movements. All right, or if you're an athlete, you may think of four quarters, but we're going to look at the first three quarters, first three movements of this text. And so initially let's start with his care as being seen in his complete knowledge of us. Now, how many of you really think that you know somebody really well? I mean, you know everything there is to know about them. Now, some of you have been married for a long time or you were married for a long time. Do you feel like you've exhausted every amount of information with your spouse? No. Are you still learning? And that's good and good, right? I mean, let's just look at it that way. It's always good. When we need to be learners just to continue to know our spouse, it shows that we care. Right? So I don't ever want to just tap out. I know enough of you. I've figured out enough of you. I want to keep learning. I want to keep investing. And I want you to do the same in me. So as we get into this idea of God's complete knowledge of us, let's just put all of our cards on the table for a minute. And I just want you to be honest. Have you ever questioned whether or not God really cared about you? You ever found yourself in a situation and said, God, do you really care? And maybe a specific situation comes to mind right now. Maybe it was a long time ago or maybe you find yourself in the midst of it right now. Have you ever doubted that God cared for you? You ever just thought, man, I just, I don't think you care, God. Or if you did care, then maybe you could show it in a different way. Now, maybe you've just gone ahead and determined that God didn't care about that situation or that he does not care about what you're going through right now. And if so, you're not alone. Right? There are a lot of people on the planet, and most of us in this room are nodding our heads, and it's been that way for years. So I just briefly want to touch on a story we started last week out of Mark. Remember the story of the disciples? We talked about the picture of Jesus sleeping in the midst of the storm. Jesus sent his disciples out one night in a boat on a sea. It was calm. Well, the storm comes up, and the waves start rolling, and the boat starts rocking, and the disciples are terrified, right? And so Jesus is in the stern of the boat, and he's sleeping. Now, if you were in this boat, 
terrified and you see Jesus sleeping, what are you going to say? How are you going to respond? Is it going to affect you in any way? We said last week it should bring us stillness and peace, right? If Jesus isn't afraid, why am I? But yet the disciples were, and so are we. And we've doubted God's care sometimes, and so did they. So let's go to it here. Mark chapter 4, this is verse 38. So all this is raging around them, and it says this, The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, what? Teacher, don't you care if we drown? All right, and so in essence, in the context of our message today, they're saying, Lord, do you care? Right? Do you care? What they're doing is something that you and I often do. They're allowing their situation to define God. They're allowing the situation to define God. And so in their minds, if Jesus really cared, then he would have gotten involved. If Jesus really cared, he would have been bailing water. Or he would have been panicked with them. Or he would have stop the storm or he would have kept the storm from coming at all if he really is God if he really has this power if he really cared about me then we wouldn't be going through this right now they let their situation define who God is now maybe you've never found yourself in a boat like that but I bet we found ourselves in a life storm like that where we let our situation define who God is God, if you really cared about me, then this would not have happened to my child. God, if you really loved me, then this wouldn't have happened to my spouse or to our family. And so since something happened in my family, since life isn't great, it means God doesn't either love me or he doesn't care or he doesn't exist. I was reading about a man this past week, a husband whose wife and two children were killed in a car wreck. Brought up in church, raised in church all their life. This man's in his mid-40s. And he's come to the conclusion that there's no God now. And he's just bailed. Because in his mind, there cannot be a loving God and tragedy to his wife and his children. Okay? And so what he's done then is let what happened on this hand define what's on this hand. What we call that is backwards thinking. Right? When life's going great, it's easy to say, God, you are great, isn't it? Now, you can sing with gusto today, he's been so good to me if you've had a good week. If you've had a hard week, those words may come off your tongue, but they just may have little heart to them. Like, he's really not been that good to me this week. It's really been a struggle. It's been hard. See, when that is the case, what we do is we let our situation define who God is rather than looking at it from the correct perspective, looking at our situation through God, letting God define the situation, letting God bring clarity to the situation. And so I was just reading in these different blogs of the comments of pastors responding to this husband who had lost his wife and children, trying to point them back to who God is. I can't make sense of your situation. There's probably nothing that you'll ever experience on this planet where you'll go, oh, now I see why that happened. We live in a sin-cursed world and sin happens. It's part of it. But those things do not define who God is. And so I need to let my situation speak over, or let my God speak over my situation rather than let my situation speak over my God. You know, God's told us that He cares. And sometimes in life you're not going to feel like it. Does that change the fact? No. Have you ever looked at your child or your spouse 
one moment said, man, I love you, and felt it, and looked at him a few minutes later and just been like, Whoa! yeah. You know you still love them, and you know they still love you. You just may not feel it in the moment, right? We've got a little tension in the room. We've had a little disobedience in the house, and so the result is I love you, but I may not like you all that much right now. I may not feel like I like you that much. Our situation cannot determine our God, okay? He cares for us. He cares for you. And he wants us to know that here this morning. David knew that full well, and so he writes for us here. And let's go back to the text. The first three verses here we'll look back in Psalm 139. David says to the Lord, You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. See, what David knew about God is this. God cares for me because he knows all about me. God cares for me because he knows everything there is to know about me. We're the same way today. You think about the people that you... Um, care about the most, those are the people that you know the best. Right? The sign says there's like 31,400 people in Granite City. How many of those people do you know? 39,350? So maybe you know 50 people in this area. Maybe you don't know 50. Maybe you know 50 people around where you live. Okay? What about the other 31,350? Do you care about them? I mean, we care, in them. We, we care about them in a gospel sense, right? We want them to know the Lord. But the people that we really know are the ones that we care about the most. We want to know them better. And so what it says is, when I'm knowing you, trying to know you, it displays that I really care. If I don't want to get to know you, you'll walk away going, well, he doesn't care about me. Never talks to me. Never calls me, never texts me, emails me, never shows any interest in me or my family or my children. And so therefore, if that was me, you'd walk out of this church week after week going, I just don't think the pastor really cares about me because I'm not trying to know you. So where we work to know someone, we're demonstrating that we care. Same way with our hobbies. Somebody tell me, what's your hobby? What's the hobby that you enjoy doing? Reading. Nobody else has a hobby? Knitting and crocheting. What? Anybody else? Ma'am? Quilting. I'm going to get myself in trouble here in just a minute. Anybody else? Running. Yes. Painting. All right, good. Anybody else? Something you like to do? Your hobby. Playing the piano, all right? So we've all got things that we like to do. Playing golf course, working on a car, not playing golf course, playing golf rather. Working on a car, working in a wood shop, all right? Whatever it is that we like. You know, you know a whole lot about that, don't you? If I ask you about quilting, you could tell me a whole lot about it, right? Now what my notes say is this. I don't know anything about sewing because I don't really care to know. And I don't mean that offensive at all. I just... It's not something that I look at and go, man, I just, I'm so interested in that. I love what you guys can do. I've got a, a picture on my wall that's been crocheted. It's like, man, that's so amazing. We've got quilts that people have made. I just, I couldn't do it. 
but I, I know a little bit about basketball. I could tell you a little bit about fishing or something like that, something outdoors, right? And so the things that we know, all I'm trying to say, the things that we know are the things that we care about. And the things that we don't know much about, we just don't care about them. That's why I don't know a whole lot about sewing. And so when David says here that God knows everything about us, what should that say to us? That God cares. And He cares to the uttermost, to the utmost. There's nothing else about you that God could possibly know. That means there's no... He couldn't care for you any more than He does. So it's to the nth degree. Right? To infinity and beyond, God cares, God loves. And so when David writes and says, you've known me in that verse 1, he says, you care about me. I know that you care. I know that you care. And so God's care for us is seen in that truth that he knows everything about us. Complete knowledge says complete care. All right, secondly here this morning, as we think about God's care for us, it's going to cover the expanse of the planet, all right? It's going to extend to wherever we find ourselves and whatever situation we're in. I think we've talked about this before, but do you remember playing hide-and-seek as a child? Or have you ever seen a little child who's learning to play hide-and-seek? Sometimes they don't know how the game works. And so if I'm the seeker, I may say, all right, I'm going to count to ten, you go hide. And so I close my eyes and I count to ten, and sometimes there's a child standing right there, but they've got their eyes closed or their hands over their eyes like this. You know, we're like, why didn't you go hide? And they think they're hiding. Why? All right, so their logic is, if I can't see you, then I guess you can't see me, right? And so we laugh about that. And we think that's cute in a little child, and we teach them how to play the game. You know, sometimes we carry that same mentality into our Christian walk. God, if I can't see you, and God, if I can't see you at work, then I guess, God, you're not at work. And God, if I can't feel your presence in my life, if I don't feel like you're close, then God, I guess that means that you're not close. Right? You ever do that? Let your feelings or what you see determine whether or not God's actually at work. Somebody tell me, when does God not work? Does He always work? And Psalm 121 tells us that He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's always working. He's always on. So there's never a moment where God's not at work. There's never a moment where God's plan is not getting accomplished. There's never a backtracking in the plan of God. Okay? If there were, then God would be like, oh man, what are we going to do now? How are we going to fix this problem? God's never worried or concerned. It's just plodding along just as He sovereignly predetermined to let us make choices within that sovereignty. It's going to take place. It's going to happen. He's never shaken, never stirred. And so when I think of him that way, I need to realize here that God's care for me not only extends to the good moments, but also the moments that are difficult, where I don't feel that he's close. I think if we took a poll this morning, most of us in this room would say, there's been times in my life, seasons maybe, where I felt like God was a long way away. Where I'd pray, pray and it felt like he wasn't listening. Or where I tried to really serve him, but there were no results. And you think, man, I, God, are you here? I can't see you. I can't feel you. Maybe you started to doubt God in those moments. 
David has something for us here though today. And this would be in that second movement. This is verse 7. It goes right along with what we're talking about here about being ex expansive. God's care extends. Verse 7 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? Now, is David looking for an out somewhere? You ever need a moment to yourself? You know, I just, I just need five minutes, all right? Can you just take the flock and go and just let me just sit in quiet for five minutes? You ever been there? All right, turn the TV off or shut your phone off, turn the radio off. I just need a few minutes alone. I just need to get away, okay? That's not what David is saying here. He's not like, God, I, everywhere I go, you're there. Come on, like, give me five minutes, just me, where you're not there. What he's saying is, there's no place on the planet that I could possibly go that you're not going to meet me there. You're not already there. He talks about the heights, and he talks about the depths. Wherever I go, on the other side of the sea, wherever I find myself, God, you are there. And so he's just reminding himself there's no place he could go that God wouldn't be there, and... There's no situation that David could find himself in that God wasn't already at work. And so sometimes we may pray and say, okay, God, start. When all along God's been working. All right? He's not waiting for us to give him the green light. He's go all the time. And so here we're reminded, wherever we go, not only is God there, but our God would be at work. And we read this this morning in verse 10. It says, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. What's that mean? It means that God cares for us. It means that God cares for us. It means there's never a place that we can go as a believer where the Lord won't go with us or where the Lord won't guide us or lead us or protect us. That's the picture there of his hand holding us fast. And so whatever situation you're currently in, maybe this today is for a friend of yours. Maybe Psalm 139 needs to come off your mouth to be shared with a spouse or a child or a neighbor or a co-worker or a classmate, a complete stranger. Maybe our paths are going to cross with somebody and they need to hear, God cares for you. God loves you. He knows everything there is to know about you. He's with you right now in this moment and he's at work. No, you can't see it. No, you can't feel it. But those things don't define what God is, who he is, or what he's doing. And so let's know some things about God. You may not feel that he's near, but you have to know that he is. And so the important thing here is to continue to seek him. Continue to press after him. Continue to listen for answered prayers. Continue to look for open doors. Knowing that he'll protect your soul. Even there your hand will guide me. Wherever there is. Put the worst case scenario that you could think of in your life. And read this verse, recite it over that situation. Even there, your hand will guide me. Even there, your right hand will hold me fast. And so God's care for us is going to extend to wherever we are. Whatever situation we find ourselves in, God is at work. And then third this morning here. God's care for us has wonderfully been seen in how he has fashioned us for his glory. God's care for us has wonderfully fashioned us for his glory. Anybody here, were you ever taught that you were an accident? That you were a mistake? We didn't intend to have you. We weren't planning on you. I didn't really want you. 
But lo and behold, bingo, here you are. All right? Sometimes we may say that with good intention. We weren't planning to have you. Sometimes what the person receiving that hears is, you didn't want me. You just got me. You got stuck with me. So sometimes maybe you've heard in your life that you're an accident or that you're a mistake or that somebody's life would have been better if you had never come along. What we're going to see here and what we read this morning in this text is that before we ever came to be, we were in the mind of God and He had purpose for us. That New King James word is the word fashioned. That goes beyond created. Created means I've formed you. Fashioned means I've formed you for a purpose. Right? You've been made for a purpose. You've been built for a purpose. You've been gifted for a purpose. See, God's design of you is intentional. Just look around. Are any of us exactly the same? No, we've got similarities. Even where you've got identical twins, there's differences. Different personalities. You'll have different heights. You'll have different gifts. You'll have different interests. Okay, so there's no two people on the planet alike. There's not a person that's ever been birthed that God went, oh, where'd you come from? You, know, you were under a tree out in the rainforest. And I didn't know you were being, like, where'd you come from? I didn't know she was even pregnant. None of us came about without the forethought of God. To me, this is comforting in a generation that's struggling with identity. Right? Your generation doesn't struggle with that. Most of mine doesn't. I was listening to a man this week talk about how you're born and you know what you are. You're either a man or a woman. And your DNA proves it. Your mind may tell you something different. Circumstances may try to press you to be something different. But the truth is, you know you're one or the other. However, we've got a deceiver who works very well at making us feel ways that are contrary to how we've been built. So we've got kind of this gender identity crisis right now in our country. People trying to understand who am I? Am I who I feel I am on the inside? Or am I how I've been made on the outside? To me, this text speaks right to that. Right? Before you were ever born, the Bible says God knit you together. God formed you in your mother's womb. God fashioned you the way that you are. So for me, gender identity is not my struggle. You know, fear is one of the dominant struggles in my life. And you've got your own struggles as well, your temptations. But for other people, that is their real struggle. So to call it out and say, oh, get over that, that's just stupid, come on. All we're doing is just driving it deeper in them. Right? We need people who will speak over them in love and care, saying, no, you've been knit beautifully. The Bible says you're wonderfully made, and we've got to be patient. Because they're not going to go, oh, okay. You know, I guess I'm really not a woman, or I guess I'm really not a man. I, you convinced me. You know, we've got to be patient with people. Let them come to the realization that God has beautifully, wonderfully, fearfully knit them, made them who they are. Let's read it in verse 13 and 14 rather than me quoting it. For you created my inmost being. My, you knit me together in my mother's womb. And so I'll praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful 
And I know that full well. Have you ever felt like you didn't have a gift? You ever have feel a feeling like I just don't bring much to the table? Or maybe I used to, but I don't bring much to the table anymore. Since I can't do what I once used to be able to do, I guess I'm just on the outside looking in. I mean, let the breath in your lungs remind you today that you still have purpose. When God says, hey, come on home, you know your time's done. But until then, your life counts. It matters. It's beneficial. You're part of a united effort about the kingdom coming, being spread across this planet. Remind yourself today, you've been wonderfully fashioned. You've been gifted by God. And whenever I say I don't have any gifts, all I'm doing is belittling my gifter. I'm making light of the one who has blessed me. He's the author, not only of my faith, the finisher of my faith, he's the author of me. He's the former of me. He's the knitter of me. He's the one who has put me together. And so you've been shaped, you've been fashioned by the hand of God and all that for his glory. Right? It never ends in me. God didn't create me to make me happy. God created me so I could know him and that through me other people would know him as well. He's done the same thing for you. Right? The little phrase, God didn't create you to make you happy. God created you to make you holy, to make us like him so that other people would know him as well stands true. So as we think about God's care, something important to remember in the day and age that we live is that we've been beautifully and wonderfully fashioned by the hand of God for his glory. That's not a truth to beat people up with. That's a truth to nurture and patiently walk with people through some of the struggles that they have in their life. Maybe a challenge, but it's what we need to do. It's what we've been called to do. I want people to be patient and walk with me through my fears. Oh, just get over it, Corey. Quit being afraid. Have some courage. Be bold. Be a man. Suck it up. I want some people to walk with me. Patiently remind me of truths. Point me to what's true. We live in a world that needs to hear the same from us today, church. And so listen, I know sometimes we can look at our lives and wonder, does God care? Or God, are you there? Sometimes my situation makes me think that he's not. Sometimes I feel like he's absent. But what the truth of the scripture tells us today is that he cares about us. He knows where we are. And he knows exactly how we've been made and why we've been made. And God doesn't make mistakes. And so moment by moment as we track through life, we need to just realize and remember that God cares for us. To kind of close this morning here, I'd just like to share a couple verses of a song. I don't know this song. It's an old hymn written in the 1800s by a man named uh, David Whittle. It's called Moment by Moment. Any of you know the song? So maybe you've heard it before. One of the verses says this, There's never a trial that he is not there. Never a burden that he does not share, that he does not bear, rather. Never a sorrow that he does not share, moment by moment I'm under his care. Never a heartache and never a groan, never a teardrop, never a moan. Never a danger, but there on the throne, moment by moment he thinks of his own. And the chorus is, moment by moment I'm kept in his love, moment by moment I've life from above. Looking to Jesus till glory doth shine. Moment by moment, O Lord, I am thine. Now that's not gospel truth. That's a man's interpretation of who he knows God to be. 
But the truth of that text is that moment by moment, God does care. Moment by moment, God knows exactly where you are. And moment by moment, there is the plan and working of God for your life and for mine. God has this constant care for his own. 